0: girl, share the show, and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Cain, written by Gene Toomer in 1923. Gene Toomer was born as Nathan Pinchback Toomer on December 26, 1894 in Washington, D.C. to mixed-race parents. Nathan began to use the name Gene as his literary career began. Growing up, Toomer attended all-black and all-white schools and refused to associate himself with race. Rather, he classified himself as American. He attended many colleges and universities and studied various topics from science to history, but did not complete a degree program. In 1921, Toomer went to Sparta, Georgia to become a principal at a rural agricultural and industrial school for blacks. While in Georgia, he learned more about his father's ancestry in Hancock County and came to the realization that he was able to pass for white. These experiences led him to a closer association with his Negro identity and inspired his most famous work, Cain, which solidified his position in the Harlem Renaissance. In his later years, Toomer delved into the study of various spiritualities and religions which his work reflected. In 1934, he joined the Religious Society of Friends and began his life as a Quaker. In 1950, he stopped writing for publication and wrote several autobiographies and a book of poetry entitled, The Wayward and the Seeking. On March 30, 1967, he died at age 72 from various health complications. Kane is a body of work known as a composite novel or short story cycle. It gained this classification due to its series of vignettes ranging from narrative prose, poetry, and play-like passages of dialogue surrounding the experiences of Black Americans. It is divided into three sections. The first details the experiences of Black Americans in the southern farmland. The second details the urban life for Black Americans in the north. The last is comprised of the prose, Cabness. The novel has been quoted as a mysterious brand of Southern psychological realism that has been matched only in the best work of William Faulkner. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Seventh Street Money Burns the Pocket, Pocket Hurts Bootleggers in silken shirts. Ballooned, zooming Cadillacs. Whizzing, whizzing down the streetcar tracks. 7th Street is a bastard of prohibition in the war. A crude, boned, soft-skinned wedge of nigger life breathing its loafer air, jazz songs, and love. Thrusting unconscious rhythms, black reddish blood, into the white and whitewashed wood of Washington. Stale, soggy wood of Washington wedges rust in soggy wood split it in two again shred it the sun wedges are brilliant in the sun ribbons of wet wood dry and blow away black reddish blood pouring for crude bone soft skin life who set you flowing bloodsuckers of the war would spin in a frenzy of dizziness if they drank your blood prohibition would put a stop to it who set you flowing white and whitewash disappear in blood who say you flowing flowing down the smooth asphalt of 7th street in shanties, brick office buildings, theaters, drugstores, restaurants and cabarets eddying on the corners swirling like a blood red smoke up where the buzzards fly in heaven God would dare not suck a black red blood a nigger God he would duck his head in shame and call for the judgment day Who set you flowing? Money burns the pocket. Pocket hurts. Bootleggers in silken shirts. Ballooned, zooming Cadillacs. Whizzing, whizzing down the streetcar tracks. Robert. Robert wears a house like a monstrous diver's helmet on his head. His legs are banty-bowed and shaky because as a child, he had rickets. He is way down. Rods of the house like antenna of a dead thing, stuffed, propped up in the air. He is way down. He is sinking. His house is a dead thing that weighs him down. He is sinking as a diver would sink in mud should the water be drawn off. Life is a murky, wiggling, microscopic water that compresses him compresses his helmet and would crush it the minute that he pulled his head out. He has to keep it in. Life is water that is being drawn off. Brother, life is water that is being drawn off. Brother, life is water that is being drawn off. The dead house is stuffed, the stuffing is alive. It is sinful to draw one's head out of a live stuffing in a dead house. The propped-up antenna would cave in, and the stuffing would be strewn, shredded life pulp, in the water. It is sinful to have one's own head crushed. Robert is an upright man whose legs are banty-bowed and shaky because, as a child, he had rickets. The earth is round. Heaven is a sphere that surrounds it. Sink where you will. God is a red Cross man with a dredge and a respiration pump who's waiting for you at the opposite periphery. God built the house. He blew his breath into its stuffing. It is good to die obeying him who can do these things. A futile something like the dead house wraps the live stuffing of the question, how long before the water will be drawn off? Robert does not care. Like most men who wear monstrous helmets... The pressure it exerts is enough to convince him of its practical infinity, and he cares not two straws as to whether or not he will ever see his wife and children again. Many a times he's seen them drown in his dreams and has kicked about joyously in the mud for days after. One thing about him goes straight to the heart. He has an Adam's apple which strains sometimes as if he were painfully gulping great globules of air, air air-floating shredded life pulp. It is a sad thing to see a banty bowed, shaky, ricket legged man straining the raw insides of his throat against smooth air, holding furtive thoughts about the glory of pulp heads strewn in water. He is way down. Down. Mud, coming to his banty knees, almost hides them. Soon people will be looking at him and calling him a strong man. No doubt he is for one who has had rickets. Let's give it to him. Let's call him great when the water shall have been all drawn off. Let's build a monument and set it in the ooze where he goes down. A monument of honed oak carved in nigger heads. Let's open our throats, brother, and sing deep river when he goes down. Brother, Robert is sinking. Let's open our throats, brother. Let's sing deep river when he goes down. A.V., for a long while she was nothing more to me than one of those skirted beings whom boys at a certain age disdain to play with. Just how I came to love her, timidly and with secret blushes, I do not know. But that I did was brought home to me one night, the first night that Ned wore his long pants. Us fellas were seated on the curb before an apartment house where she had gone in. The young trees had not outgrown their boxes then, V Street was lined with them. When our legs grew cramped and stiff from the cold of the stone, we'd stand around a box and whittle it. I'd like to think now that there was a hidden purpose in the way we hacked them with our knives. i like to feel that something deep in me responded to the trees. The young trees that whinnied like colts, impatient to be let free. On the particular night I have in mind, we were waiting for the top floor light to go out. We wanted to see A.V. leave the flat. This night, she stayed longer than usual and gave us a chance to complete the plans of how we were going to stone and beat that feller on the top floor out of town. Ned especially had it in for him. He was about to throw a brick up at the window when at last the room went dark. Some minutes passed. Then Avy, as unconcerned as if she had been playing an old maid aunt a visit, came out. I don't remember what she had on and all that sort of thing, but I do know that I turned hot as bare pavements in the summertime at Ned's post. Hell, bet I could get her too if you little niggas weren't always spying and crabbing everything. I didn't say a word to him. It wasn't my way then. I just stood there like the others and something like a fuse burned up inside of me. She never noticed us, but swung along lazy and easy as anything. We sauntered to the corner and watched her till her door banged to. Ned repeated what he'd said. I didn't seem to care. Sitting around old Mushhead's bread box, the discussion began. Hang if I could see how she gets away with it, Doc started. Ned knew, of course. There was nothing he didn't know when it came to women. He dilated on the emotional needs of girls. Said they weren't much different from men in that respect and concluded with the solemn avowal, "'It does him good. "'None of us liked Ned much. "'We all talked dirt, but it was the way he said it. "'And then, too, a couple of the fellas had sisters "'and had caught Ned playing with them, "'but there was no disputing the superiority "'of his smutty wisdom.'" Bub Sanborn, whose mother was friendly with Avies, had overheard the old ladies talking. "'A.V.'s mother's on her, he said." We thought that only natural and began to guess at what would happen. Someone said she'd marry that fella on the top floor. Ned called that a lie because Avi was going to marry nobody but him. We had our doubts about that, but we did agree that she'd soon leave school and marry someone. The gang broke up, and I went home, picturing myself as married. Nothing I did seemed to be able to change Avi's indifference to me. I played basketball. And when I'd make a long, clean shot, she'd clap with the others, louder than they, I thought. I'd meet her on the street, and there'd be no difference in the way she said hello. She never took the trouble to call me by my name. On the days for Drill, I'd let my voice down a tone and call for a complicated maneuver when I saw her coming. She'd smile appreciation, but it was an impersonal smile, never for me. It was on a summer excursion down to Riverview that she first seemed to take me into account. The day had been spent riding merry-go-rounds, scenic railways, and shoot-the-shoots. We had been in swimming and we had danced. I was a crack swimmer then. She didn't know how. I held her up and showed her how to kick her legs and draw her arms. Of course she didn't learn in one day, but she thanked me for bothering with her. I was also somewhat of a dancer. And I had already noticed that love can start on a dance floor. We danced. But though I held her tightly in my arms, she was way away. That college feller who lived on the top floor was somewhere making money for the next year. I imagined that she was thinking, wishing for him. Ned was along. He treated her until his money gave out. She went with another feller. Ned got sore. One by one, the boy's money gave out she left them and then they got sore every one of them but me got sore this is the reason i guess why i had her to myself on the top deck of the jane mosley that night as we puffed up the potomac coming home the moon was brilliant the air was sweet like clover and every now and then a salt tang a stale drift of seaweed it was not my mind's fault if it went romancing I should have taken her in my arms the minute we were stowed in that old lifeboat. I dallied, dreaming. She took me in hers, and I could feel by the touch of it that it wasn't a man to woman love. It made me restless. I felt chagrined. I didn't know what it was, but I did know that I couldn't handle it. She ran her fingers through my hair and kissed my forehead. I itched to break through her tenderness to passion. I wanted her to take me in her arms as I knew she had that college feller. I wanted her to love me passionately as she did him. I gave her one burning kiss. Then she laid me in her lap as if I were a child, helpless. I got sore when she started to hum a lullaby. She wouldn't let me go. I talked. I knew damn well that I could beat her at that. Her eyes were soft and misty. The curves of her lips were wistful and her smile seemed indulgent of the irrelevance of my remarks. I gave up at last and let her love me silently in her own way. The moon was brilliant. The air was sweet like clover and every now and then a salt tang, a stale drift of seaweed. The next time I came close to her was the following summer at Harper's Ferry. We were sitting on a flat projecting rock they give the name of Lover's Leap. Someone is supposed to have jumped off of it. The river is about 600 feet beneath. A railroad track runs up the valley and curves out of sight where part of the mountain rock had to be blasted away to make room for it. The engines of this valley have a whistle, the echoes of which sound like iterated gasps and sobs. I always think of them as crude music from the soul of A.V. We sat there holding hands. Our palms were soft and warm against each other, Our fingers were not tight. She would not let them be. She would not let me twist them. I wanted to talk, to explain what I meant to her. Avey was as silent as those great trees whose tops we looked down upon. She has always been like that, at least to me. I had the notion that if I really wanted to, I could do with her just what I pleased. Like one can strip a tree. I did kiss her, I even let my hands cup her breasts. When I was through, she'd seek my hand and hold it till my pulse cooled down. Evening after evening, we sat there. I tried to get her to talk about that college feller. She never would. There was no set time to go home. None of my family had come down, and as for hers, she didn't give a hang about them. The general gossips could hardly say more than they had, The boarding house porch was always deserted when we returned. No one saw us enter, so the time was set conveniently for a scandal. This worried me a little, for I thought it might keep Avi from getting an appointment in the schools. She didn't care. She had finished normal school. They could give her a job if they wanted to. As time went on, her indifference to things began to pique me. I was ambitious. I left the ferry earlier than she did. I was going off to college. The more I thought of it, the more I resented. Yes, hell, that's what it was. Her downright laziness. Sloppy indolence. There was no excuse for a healthy girl taking life so easy. Hell, she was no better than a cow. I was certain that she was the cow when I felt an udder in a Wisconsin stock judging class. Among those energetic Swedes, or whatever they are, I decided to forget her. For two years, I thought I did. When i come home for the summer, she'd be away. And before she returned, I'd be gone. We never wrote. She was too damn lazy for that. But what a bluff I put up about forgetting her. The girls up that way, at least the ones I knew, haven't got the stuff. They don't know how to love. Giving themselves completely was tame beside just the holding of Avi's hand. One day, I received a note from her. The writing, I decided, was slovenly. She wrote on a torn bit of notebook paper. The envelope had a faint perfume that I remembered. A single line told me she had lost her school and was going away. I comforted myself with the reflection that shame held no pain for one so indolent as she. Nevertheless, I left Wisconsin that year for good. Washington had seemingly forgotten her. I hunted Ned. Between curses, I caught his opinion of her. She was no better than a whore. I saw her mother on the street, the same old pinchbeck, back jerky, gated creature that I'd always known. Perhaps five years passed. The business of hunting a job or something or other had bruised my vanity so that I could recognize it. I felt old. Avi and my real relation to her, I thought I came to know. I wanted to see her. I had been told that she was in New York. As I had no money, I hiked and bummed my way there. I got work in a shipyard and walked the streets at night hoping to meet her. Failing in this, I saved enough to pay my fare back home. One evening in early June, just at the time when dusk is most lovely on the eastern horizon... I saw Avi, indolent as ever, leaning on the arm of a man strolling under the recently lit arc lights of U Street. She had almost passed before she recognized me. She showed no surprise. The puff over her eyes had grown heavier. The eyes themselves were still sleepy large and beautiful. I had almost concluded indifferent. You look older, was what she said, I wanted to convince her that I was, so I asked her to walk with me. The man whom she was with and whom she never took the trouble to introduce at a nod from her, hailed a taxi and drove away. That gave me a notion of what she had been used to. Her dress was of some fine, costly stuff. I suggested the park and then added that the grass might stain her skirt. "'Let it get stained,' she said, "'for where it came from, there are others.' I have a spot in Soldier's Home to which I always go when I want the simple beauty of another soul. Robins' spring lay about the lawn all day. They leave their footprints in the grass. I imagine that the grass at night smells sweet and fresh because of them. The ground is high. Washington lies below. Its light spread like a blush against the darkened sky, against the soft dust sky of Washington. And when the wind is from the south, Soil of my homeland falls like a fertile shower upon the lean streets of the city. Upon my hill and soldier's home, I know the policeman who watches the place of nights. When I go there alone, I talk to him. I tell him I come there to find the truth that people bury in their hearts. I tell him that I do not come there with a girl to do the thing he's paid to watch out for. I look deep in his eyes when I say these things, and he believes me. He comes over to see who it is on the grass. I say hello to him. He greets me in the same way and goes off searching for other black splotches upon the lawn. Aby and I went there. A band in one of the buildings a fair distance off was playing a march. I wish they would stop. Their playing was like a tin spoon in one's mouth. I wanted the Howard Glee Club to sing Deep River from the road. To sing Deep River, Deep River, from the road other than the first comments Avi had been silent I started to hum a folk tune she slipped her hand in mine pillowed her head as best she could upon my arm kissed the hand that she was holding and listened or so I thought to what I had to say I traced my development from the early days up to the present time the phase in which I could understand her I described her own nature and temperament told how they needed a larger life for their expression, how incapable Washington was of understanding that need, how it could not meet it. I pointed out that in lieu of the proper channels, her emotions had overflowed into past that dissipated them. I talked, beautifully I thought, about an art that would be born, an art that would open the way for women the likes of her. I asked her to hope and build up an inner life against the coming of that day. I recited some of my own things to her. I sang with a strange quiver in my voice, a promise song. And then I began to wonder why her hand had not once returned a single pressure. My old time feeling about her laziness came back. I spoke sharply. My policeman friend passed by. I said hello to him. As he went away, I began to visualize certain possibilities. An immediate and urgent passion swept over me. Then I looked at Avi. Her heavy eyes were closed. Her breathing was as faint and regular as a child's in slumber. My passion died. I was afraid to move lest I disturb her. Hours and hours, I guess it was, she lay there. My body grew numb. I shivered. I coughed. I wanted to get up and whittle at the boxes of young trees. I withdrew my hand. I raised her head to waken her. She did not stir. I got up and walked around. I found my policeman friend and talked to him. We both came up and bent over her. He said it would be all right for her to stay there just so long as she got away before the workmen came at dawn. A blanket was borrowed from a neighbor's house. I sat beside her through the night. I saw the dawn steal over Washington The Capitol Dome looked like a gray ghost ship drifting in from sea. Aby's face was pale and her eyes were heavy. She did not have the gray crimson splash beauty of the dawn. I hated to wake her, orphan woman. Beehive. Within this black hive tonight, there swarms a million bees. Bees passing in and out the moon. Bees escaping out the moon. Bees returning through the moon. Silver bees intently buzzing. Silver honey dripping from the swarm of bees. Earth is a waxen cell of the world comb. And I, a drone, lying on my back, lipping honey. Getting drunk with silver honey. Wish that I might fly out past the moon and curl forever in some far-off farmyard flower. Storm ending. Thunder blossoms gorgeously above our heads. Great, hollow, bell-like flowers rumbling in the wind. Stretching clappers to strike our ears. Full-lipped flowers bitten by the sun. Bleeding rain dripping rain like golden honey and the sweet earth flying from the thunder. Are you still up? Girl, good night.